Oh, Lisa, don't you know there's a corona? Oh, Lisa, don't you know people are talking bad about you? Oh, Lisa, don't you know that maybe somebody unfollowed you on some? No, 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 none of that gets to drive my soul. Soul, put your hope in God. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. This is the show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like to receive a free copy of the latest issue featuring interviews, features, news, reviews and more, then head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. My guest today is Lisa Bavia. Lisa's authentic teachings weave profound biblical truths with practical application. Lisa's a New York Times bestselling author and her books, which include Without Rival, Fight Like a Girl, Lioness Arising and Girls with Swords, are in the hands of millions worldwide. Lisa and her husband, John Bavia, who is also a best-selling author and teacher, are the founders of Messenger International. I spoke to Lisa during her lockdown in Colorado and asked her how she's coping with this time. To be honest with you, Rachel, I have actually uh, enjoyed the opportunity to pause. I feel like I had, unbeknownst to me, been so busy going from one thing and moving on to the next thing that, that this has been a season for me to say, all right, God, you've got my attention. I am really thankful that I got all my fighting done with my husband 10 years ago. So I've loved being trapped with John Bevere in a household. Uh, yeah, it's been good for us at home, but hard. Uh, um, we, we miss people. We, uh, we just did a Zoom call with our staff praying and I just cannot wait to actually be side by side, arms and arms locked together. And uh, I think that there is a new awareness of what's important. I think that it's been a reset to what I really value, an opportunity to edit what needs to be edited, an opportunity to eliminate some things that I don't know. I don't know that I would have eliminated them I think that a lot of people said 2020 is a year of clarity and vision and God said yes and amen. Let's let's confront all these idols in your life and remove any obstructions. So it's been a mixed blessing. I am ready for it to be over, but I also want to make sure that I develop whatever strength I need to develop in this wilderness season so that I come out stronger than I went in. I totally understand and hear that. I think for so many of us, it's been an opportunity for God to do a good work inside of us to then kind of go kind of back out again. Although I know we're still connected, but you're absolutely right. There's something about that physical contact that when we kind of come out of this wilderness back in to the world, we come out renewed and different somehow. I totally hear that what have you been pressing into during this time has there been a bible verse that has carried you through 
Well, you know, I've actually been pressing into a process, I would say more than just one verse. One of the things that God gave me at the very beginning, Rachel, I was, I woke up in the morning, we had just come home from our last trip. And I kind of was laying in my bed and telling myself, you are in a different place than you have ever been. You are in a pandemic. Uh, like it, you may not know this because you're waking up safe and warm in your own bed and you're waking up with the same people, which is John, that you normally wake up in. But there is a world out there that is waking up with a different awareness. And it wasn't that I wanted to scare myself. It was that I wanted to rouse myself. I wanted to say, okay, let's let's be aware. And I heard... Uh, this scripture in my spirit, I heard, tell the righteous, it shall be well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their deeds. And so I I popped up and I I asked John, where is this scripture? Because John is like a living concordance. He said, oh, that's Isaiah chapter three, verse 10. So I opened it up. And as I began to read that, I, I realized that my deeds in this season are seeds I am planting for my next season. And I said, all right, what do I, how do I want to choose to live? And so right away, Rachel, I said, I want to sow seeds of generosity. So I said, all right, let's do a free online course and let's call it strong. And so I sat down and I recorded nine lessons and I said, we're going to sow this. The word of God is not constrained. I am not relegated to invitations. I am a minister of the gospel. And that happens because I open my mouth and God fills it. And so I I thought I'm going to do that. So it actually has been a, a test of will I operate in the opposite spirit? Will I hoard or will I release? Will I self-protect or will I lift other people? So I wrote a, a devotional called Strong. This is my season to be strong. This isn't about promoting a message. This is about living a message of devotion to passion for people, passion for God's power. And so I think sometimes we get weary in well-doing. Uh, I'm a little weary of, um, of the motion Uh, I find myself even waking up a little bit later than I normally would have. I normally would get up between 5.45 and 6.15 a.m. And I found myself being a little, I don't need to necessarily take a shower today, do I? You know, I mean, just everything. And I'm like, nope, nope. I'm going to stir up my spirit. I'm going to remember the pause that I have right now. I'm going to remember that God actually in our pause is moving pieces. He is setting things up. The curtain that we see is closed, but behind the scenes, something is about to happen. And when that curtain opens up, Rachel, I want my heart ready. I want to have eyes to see. I want to have ears to hear. I want to have a heart of courage to carry uh, you know, we prayed for pastors. We believe a lot of pastors are having some aha moments right now. And it's a beautiful, powerful thing 
where they're finding out, you know, why, why, you know, have I, uh, have I been carrying the word of God with fire or have I been preaching messages just to get people back next week? Has it been about attendance or has it been about truly perfecting the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry? Is it easier for me to be the celebrity and everybody come and watch or am I commissioning others to go and do? And so I think that this shift is happening. We're, we're talking to some beautiful pastor friends of ours and they're like, oh my gosh, God is shaking us to wake us up. And so those are all good things, even though Corona is not. <laughs> so. Can I ask you a little bit about your book? So it's 90 uh, devotionals about the yeah. theme of strength, about being strong, which I absolutely love. This is embarrassing, but true. Rachel, the publisher came to me and they said, Lisa, we think you should write a book called Strong. We think there is a need for a devotional called Strong. And I said, why would I be that person? And I just, I don't, I don't know. And they said, wait, what do you mean? Why would you be that person? You wrote Girls with Swords. You wrote Fight Like a Girl. You wrote Lioness Arising. You wrote Adamant. And I said, okay. And they said, oh, it'll be super easy. It's just each page is 400 words. And it's just, you write that on an airplane. It'll be easy. Rachel, that was a lie. It was not easy. It was hard. I am not used to starting and stopping that often. You know, I'm used to doing chapters where I can develop an idea. And it was a challenge for me. It was a, a growth for me. I tried to get out of it a couple times. Like, y'all, this was a lie. This is not easy. I don't like it. I, and um, I turned it in. And then I read it out loud in January. I did the audible version and I came home and I, I told John, oh my gosh, this thing is intense. This is an intense book. I don't know. And he said, well, it's called Strong. What did you think? I said, you know, I, I wrote it in pieces. I wrote it in 90 pieces. I had never read it all the way through. And now I'm like, whoa, but God. God knew, God knew people were going to need something that was a tool that he could put in their hand and say, you can be strong. God knew that women would need to hear strong is not wrong. God knew that women would need to hear that the wrong that our culture is saying, be angry, be vengeful, be slanderous, that that's not real strength, but that real strength comes by the presence of God, the real strength comes when we bless those that curse us. I'm not talking about enabling those. I'm not talking about denying people justice. We need all of that. I'm talking about understanding that I, as a woman, do not get my value by taking it from men. I get my value by actually going over men and getting it from the maker of us all. I get my value from God and stop looking for men to be what only God can be for me and to me and understanding that there is this very real battle going on. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't know if you guys suffer the same things that we in the American church suffer, but you know, I've heard my entire life that you're too strong. You know, I, 
I go to a beautiful church here in uh, my hometown and I've only spoken there one Sunday. And when I spoke on the one Sunday, I preached out of the book of James chapter one, verses two through eight. I was very careful to be expository. I was very careful to unpack an idea. And what I heard afterwards was, you're just too strong. You're just too strong. Well, Rachel, I'm sorry. These are days that require strong. And, and, and I hope you understand. I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm saying that to say, I understand, you know, people may think that I don't hear that anymore because I have a, a, a larger platform or more exposure. I hear it all the time, but not from my husband. My husband is like, baby girl, I need you strong baby girl. There's an entire generation of young girls who need you to be who God created you to be. Don't, don't take it as an insult when someone says that you're too strong, hone it, refine it. You don't want to be harsh, but there is nothing wrong with the word strong. The word strong means robust. The word strong means fervent. The word strong means focused, passionate, magnificent, well-seasoned. I love that. We need to be people who are well-seasoned by this season. Jesus went into the wilderness filled with the spirit, but he came out and the power thereof. And I want to come out of this season, Rachel, in the power thereof. I don't want to come out saying that was exhausting. I want to come out and say, oh, I found out that I don't live by bread alone. I don't live by what I can make happen. I don't live by what I can make and bake. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I have tested God and found him to be faithful. Can I, can I ask you a question about that? When you said about your own church and that you've only ever asked to, to speak once, how does that settle within you? I feel like it's good for me. I know that sounds terrible, but I feel like it, it's the right weighing of my motives like, uh, are you, are you able to go and sit? Are you able to listen? It was in 2007 that I was at Hillsong in Sydney doing their women's conference, doing their color of the world. And I got a call on a Saturday afternoon and it was pastor Brian Houston. And he said, I I'd love you to do one of the Sunday mornings. And I said, Oh no, no, pastor Brian, my church doesn't let women preach. Uh, we don't, we don't let women preach. Um, the pastor believes that the woman is the last to be created first to sin. We're easily deceived. We're not allowed to, we're not allowed to talk. And at that time, my church was in a transition and pastor Brian said to me, Lisa, your pastor is not the pastor of my church. I am the pastor of my church and we believe in women speaking and I believe that the gift on your life, even though it is focused right now towards women, I don't believe it's just for women. I want you to be ready to speak tomorrow morning. And, and Rachel, I'm going to be honest with you. It was awful. It was absolutely, I mean, and if you're going to fail, you don't want to fail at Hillsong. 
I mean, thank God it was the city campus, but it's still, it was an epic failure. I think I was uh, supposed to speak 30 minutes. I'm pretty sure I jumped off the stage at 25 minutes. I was sweating. I kept hearing women were the last to be created, first to sin. I suffer a woman not to speak or teach. I heard all of these scriptures that had been put in my life to hold me back and, and silence my voice and any beautiful daughter of God never wants to disobey or dishonor her father. So when those kind of things have been put in our life, we need a God whisper to say, oh no, 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 that was never me. That was never me. That's never what that meant. And so I, it drove me onto a journey of God. Do I have the do I have a voice? Am I, am I easily deceived? Am I? And, and God began to take me into the scriptures and to understand the context. And, you know, it's so funny. Uh, people say, well, you can't limit it to the context. Well, you know what? The early church, we're actually superimposing our little Sunday pulpits on the early church. And I think it's funny that God is like, y'all, home. Y'all are home now. There's no, there's no pulpit. There's no Sunday. The early church was house to house, breaking bread in fellowship. Women spoke, men spoke, people all learned together in a posture of humility. There was no written Bible. They spoke of what they'd known, what they'd seen, what they'd experienced. And I feel like we are once again, being challenged, are we going to obey what God is saying? God is saying he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh and that the sons and the daughters have the privilege and the right to prophesy. What does that mean? It means to release the words of heaven while we walk on earth, that there would be signs and wonders, that there would be disciples and men servants and maid servants. And gosh, Rachel, I just hope I hope and pray that we have some resets uh, in hearts uh, during this season. But yeah, no, it, it, was, it was a challenge. How would you encourage us to be strong in this season? I know that you said things, don't be afraid of the hard conversations, that mm -hmm. we're in a quite intense time in relationships. There's this resetting. But what's your kind of encouragement to us as we travel through the rest of this kind of lockdown and, and situation? Yes, don't be afraid of the hard conversations. That doesn't mean they're easy. That doesn't mean they're easy in any way, shape or form. Having those hard conversations was easy to avoid in past seasons. And I don't want to have to have those hard conversations in the next season when I don't have the time to do the hard work. We have to learn the sensitivity of what is God saying. We got to know who our healer is. It isn't about getting married. It isn't about getting a new husband. It isn't about getting a new house or a new thing or a new job. It is about getting renewed in the presence of God. So when I get wounded, I can go to the one who understands. And when I, even when I can't express what is going on, and I feel like we have this moment in time where we can stay in the presence of God until God speaks to us. Whereas 
Yeah, and I get it. I'm not homeschooling kids. So, I mean, maybe somebody's like, you're not homeschooling kids. Well, then just stay in the shower longer. But get to the place where you, you not just speak to God, but you hear. You hear what he is saying. Gosh, Rachel, I am so quick to judge. I just, oh man, if I could have been Deborah sitting under a palm tree judging, I would have, I would have loved that as a full-time job. But you know what? That is not... That is not what God anoints us to do. He is not anointing us to judge. He anoints us to prophesy, to see a problem and speak solution. And that takes time. So even the woman taken in adultery, you see Jesus. Jesus watches what goes on. The last person that can throw the stone leaves. And he says to the woman, hey, where are all your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. Now there's an audience, there's people watching, there's the crowd that had come to learn, there's Jesus, there's an obviously guilty woman, and then he says, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. And I think that sometimes we forget the courage of this woman who stayed when she could have left. When the last stone thrower was gone, I would have ran from the place. But there comes a place where we're tired of hearing about Jesus and we want him to speak directly to us. Because in those moments, he doesn't have to say a lot, but what he says has the weight in it, the grace on it for us to be it. And what he says to her is, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. So what he does is he says, you can leave a life in the shadow realm and you can walk in a new way of life which is light which is hope which is faith with it which is love and so that strength that we need comes from him speaking to us not just i mean it's great listen to podcasts listen to radio watch shows but don't neglect hearing that voice for yourself Amen. I love it. I want to ask you, when you talk about your devotion to God and your strength that comes through him, I would like to know, what do you do on those days or those occasions where you doubt, when hmm. you feel, yeah, you feel afraid or you're not as sure and as passionate as you are on your best day? What do you do then? Two things. Two things. One I learned from David. First thing is I speak to my soul. You know, my emotions lie to me sometimes. Uh, they'll say things like, you're not making a difference. Who do you think you are? Lisa, you turn 60 next month. Nobody wants to hear from you. You need to just calm down. You just need to disappear. Uh, I speak to my soul. I say, soul, why are you downcast? Soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Oh, Lisa, don't you know there's a corona? Oh, Lisa, don't you know people are talking bad about you? Oh, Lisa, don't you know that maybe somebody unfollowed you on some? No, 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 none of that gets to drive my soul. Soul, put your hope in God. I will always feel less than I will always feel limited I will always feel hopeless when I look to myself 
but when I look to the hills where my help comes from, when I remember. And then the second thing I do, because this is the thing, and, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you, Rachel, neither of those things do I feel like doing. I feel like curling up and crying or calling a friend and saying, I'm just so misunderstood. But the second thing is possibly the most powerful thing. I worship. I put on music. I shut the door. I sing so loud to Elevation or Hillsong or Bethel or Jesus Culture. I get on with the belonging company. I begin to sing out loud. And there is nothing that changes the atmosphere of my home and the posture of my heart faster than worship. So speaking the word out loud and then it's going to be crazy and embarrassing and maybe trouble some people dancing before God, singing, dancing, opening my mouth, not just listening to music, but opening my mouth and singing it opens my heart to the faith and the love and the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I just want to pray for you. I believe that so many of us are finding ourselves in a season that we were unprepared for. So I want to pray that in this season, God does something that will astound you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in agreement. I lift up my brothers and my sisters, and I thank you that you are doing a new thing, a new thing, that you are creating rivers in our deserts, that you are creating pathways in our barren places. And Father, that we are going to come out of this season having known you more. Father, that will come from a place of unhealthy to a place of health, from a place of weakness to a place of strength, from a place of isolation and insecurity to a place of community and connection. Father, I thank you that you are filling your people with your spirit and that your word is coming alive in their hearts and in their mouth. And I thank you that we will go into this season weaklings and come out warriors in Jesus' name. Amen. Premier Christianity Magazine. In this month's issue. The world is in lockdown and coronavirus is dominating the news agenda. But what is God up to? We've put that question to 24 Christian leaders. Justin Welby, Pete Gregg, Lou Fellingham, Governor B, Mark Sayers, Noel Robinson, Rachel Gardner, Marilyn Baker, and many others explain what they believe God is doing in this moment. Plus, we talk to someone who's become a Christian during lockdown. The Reverend Anthony Thompson explains how he found the strength to forgive the man who murdered his wife. And Tom Wright gives us his opinion on the gift of tongues. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That is the publication that sponsors this show and makes it all possible. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, just head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. 
Going to pass over now to one of our freelance journalists, Claire Musters, who's been in conversation with the Reverend Anthony Thompson. It's five years on since the Charleston Church shooting when Dylan Roof walked into a Bible study and opened fire. Reverend Anthony Thompson lost his wife in the shooting. And in this moving interview with Claire Musters, he explains how God enabled him to forgive the man who shot and killed his wife. Let's listen in. So I'm here with the Reverend Anthony Thompson. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. Um, We're here because it is coming up to the fifth anniversary of your wife's murder. Um, And you've written about the Charleston church shooting and um, why you feel God urged you to forgive Dylan Roof, her murderer, in your book called To Forgive. So if I may, can we go back to the details of the 17th of June, 2015, Um, You say that your wife had spent the day preparing for the Bible study that she was going to teach that evening at her church, which was the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. And you had said to her that you'd like to go with her and support her because it was the first time she was leading. But she reminded you, you had responsibilities at your own church. So it would just be interesting um, for us to understand why were you at different churches? Well, first of all, my wife, she grew up in church as a young as a young as a young person yeah and uh she was pursuing a ministry in the in the ame church i've always been a reformed episcopalian and we always had that mutual understanding we got married that it didn't make a difference we were serving the same god and so that particular night i was at my church holy trinity reformed episcopal church i wanted to be where she was but for some reason that particular time she did not want me to be there. She kept saying she didn't want me to come, which was very unusual because we did everything together. Uh, we were more than the Bobsy twins. We were like stuck, like bonded, like glued together. So I could understand that. However, I did go. I came back home thinking I would be able to make it over to the Bible study. It was too late. I came back from my church and I received a phone call from one of the members at Emmanuel Amy Church, telling me I need to go to the church because they're shooting at the church. And so I dropped the phone immediately. I, mm-hmm. I, I just took off, and I got to the church like maybe in five minutes because we're downtown, almost in the same area of the church. Ran into a police officer, advised me the street was already blocked off. They had taken everybody out of the church and placed them in a hotel, which was right across the street from Emmanuel Amy Church. I opened the door. I didn't see her. I saw um, Felicia Sanders and her daughter, her granddaughter, who were two of the survivors, mm-hmm. and they were just crying. each other, so they didn't see me. To my right was Miss Polly Shepard, another survivor, and she had her head laying down on the table. She didn't see me, so trying to figure out where Myra is. And so when I turned back around towards the door to leave, Felicia Sanders saw me, and she said, Anthony, Myra is gone. And I said, well, okay, I know my wife. She can't keep still. You know, she makes up a lot, so she's probably nervous about what happened. So I said, I'll sit there and I'll wait. And she said, no, she's gone. I said, I heard you. And she said, well, she's gone, and she's not coming back. And so I ran out of the hotel, went and rest my head and, and knelt down 
on the flower bed of the hotel, and I just started praying, you know, asking the Lord, please, you know, I hope my, you know, let her be all right. If she's not okay, don't let her suffer, you know, and show me how, you know, show me how can I get over this? Because the church is directly across the street from the hotel, so I'm looking to see how I can get there. By that time, everybody's in place. DEA, FBI, SLED, all the first responders, and everything's blocked off. And so something said, just get up and run, and I ran. And I got past everybody. And I got to a gate that is right, the gate of the church, next to the door where everybody was walking in and out. And someone snatched me back. It took five people to hold me down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found out later on it was an FBI agent. I explained to him who I was and that my wife was in the church. I asked a lot of questions about what was going on. Of course, he kept telling me, I can't tell you anything. I don't know anything. So my last question was, is anybody in the church? And he said, yes. I said, well, if they're in there, why can't they come out? He said, well, I can't tell you that either. I don't know. So by that time, I, I assumed the worst that she was dead. Yeah. And that's when I just lost all control. And I fell down the pavement down the street. And I was just crying uncontrollably. For the first time in my life, I just lost control. And all I can remember saying was, I don't know what to do. And I must have said that over and over and over again. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And first thing came to my mind was everything that I had accomplished, everything Mari and I had done together, I was just going to throw in the towel. That was it. No more pastoring a church, no more mentoring young kids. I mean, nothing. Because my purpose for life was gone. She was my purpose. Yeah, that must have been devastating. So when when did you actually find out the details of what happened? Because this young young white man had actually gone and attended the Bible study, hadn't he? And then and then yes. when they were praying at the end of it, he just pulled out a gun and just shot them all at point blank range, didn't he? So when did you find out those details? Well, I didn't find out until almost forty eight hours later. Um, at that time, we had no idea who did it. And when I found out, I was at home. My daughter was here, my son was here, and my daughter came to me and said, Father, uh, they caught the young man who killed Mama. They're having a bond hearing for him. His name is Dylan Roof. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to know who he is. I don't want to know his name. I don't want, I'm not going to the bond hearing. You know, we're, we're not going to do anything. As, as a matter of fact, I put my pajamas on and I got in my bed. Mm-hmm. You know, but my, and my daughter, she just kept coming after me. And she said, well, if you don't go, I'm not going. And, and that, that kind of got next to me. And I said, you know what? We're going to go. You were desperate to get out as soon as it was finished. But the judge did something really unusual, didn't he? And he read out each of the victims' names and then asked if any of the relatives wanted to say something. And, and you really didn't want to, did you? But, but what happened? Well, I heard that voice. You know, God saying, get up. I have something to say. And I know that voice because 48 hours before the bond hearing, when I was on Calhoun Street crying uncontrollably, he said the same thing. He said, get up. Mm-hmm. And so I got up and I'm walking to the podium. And I'm saying to myself, I'm saying, God, whatever it is you have to say, you better say it because I don't have anything to say. He reminded me that I was his child. Dylan was his child. And that... I was a sinner just like Dylan, 
And I'm saying to myself, you got to be kidding. I'm not going up here to tell people I'm a sinner by no means. That's what you want me to say. I'm going to sit down. But he just kept on coming. And so by the time I got to, to the podium, I'm thinking, yes, you know, I am a sinner just like Dylan. And I should be able to forgive him just like God, just like you forgave me. And so I just said it. I said, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent. You know, confess, repent, and give your life to the one that means the most to Christ. I said, because right now you are in a lot of trouble. And if you give your life to him, he can change your life. He can change your ways. And no matter what happens, you'll be all right. I said, do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. And once I said that, I just thought it was over. I'm walking back to my seat, and I heard, I mean, my body just started shaking. Mm. And, and it shaking from, from my neck, my shoulders, my arms, like something was going through my fingers. I'm looking at my fingers to see what's coming out. I can feel something leaving me, but I can't see it coming out. And when it's all over, I had this peace. Man. Like, like none other. I mean, I had this peace, like a peace, this peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. I experienced that kind of peace. I've preached about that peace many times. And I thought my congregation had it. I thought I had it. But I discovered that day that we did not have it because <laughs> I actually I actually felt that peace. Yeah. That peace. I mean, everything. He took away the burdens I was bearing. He took away the pain I was feeling. He took away the anger and the hate I was feeling. He just took it all away. Yeah. It was gone. And so I know that forgiveness heals. I know what forgiveness can do to a person's life. Yeah. No, I mean, it changes your life traumatically. Yeah, amen. And But you said what was interesting in your book, you, you described that um, when you were talking to him, Dylan just had his head down. But when you said the name Jesus yeah. Christ, he looked up and you actually were able to see right into his heart. Yes. You could describe that. Right to his heart. Yeah. Well, that's another thing the Lord told me. You know, before I actually started speaking, he said, I want you to get his attention. And I'm saying to myself, I don't know. How do you do that? <laughs> and and of course, when I said Christ, he did lift his head up, and and I was able to really pierce into his eyes, almost into his very soul, mm -hmm. and I saw a hurt young man. Yeah. You know, you know, and 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 then he just put his head back down. But he heard me. That 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 was the point. The point mm -hmm. was that he heard me. He heard me exactly the way God. Knew he would, and um, that was um, that that was the only time he ever lifted his head up and looked at anybody. You are actually asked whether you felt forgiveness when you made your public declaration. Could you comment on that? No, I didn't feel forgiveness. No, no, I didn't feel forgiveness at all. No, uh, it wasn't that. It was divine intervention. Yeah, that that came. You know, because a lot, a lot happened before I actually got to the barn hearing. You know, God had been dealing with me right there in the streets of Charleston on Calhoun Street, right in front of Emmanuel Church, the night I found out my wife was dead. You know, he told me, get up. When I was on that ground, he said, get up. 
and he, he said it very harshly. And after saying it three times, I realized it was him because I know that voice. If you're a Christian, yeah. you've got a relationship with the Lord, you know his voice. And so I got up, and he was reminding me at that time of some of the sermons that I preached in my church about if you love your lo if you love your husband, your daughter, your son, wife more than you love him, and they die and you lose them, what are you going to do? Mm. And so I, I was very angry because I didn't want to hear what he had to say, you know. And I, I, I mean, I would, but he just kept coming at me like a pest. And so <laughs> later on, he gave me scripture, which was Saint Luke the seventeenth chapter. That scripture talks about forgiveness, and I'm saying to him. Well, who am, I, who am I going to forgive? Because at that time, we did not know who committed the murders. Right. You know, Dylan Luke had not been caught. And so I'm saying, Lord, you can't be talking to me. St. Luke, that 17th chapter, it says that things, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And so I'm saying, okay, no stumbling. It goes on to say that woe to anyone through whom they come. They would rather have a a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But it goes on to say, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And it says, no matter how many times they sin against you, you know, forgive them. Mm. And I'm trying to determine who is it am I going to forgive. So all this occurred before I actually got to the bond hearing. So by the time I got to the bond hearing, I was ready to forgive this young man. That must have been so, really difficult to be dealing with and for God to be speaking to you so directly about that subject when obviously you were right in the grips of raw grief and mourning for what's just happened to your wife. I mean, that must have been mm -hmm. quite confusing. Well, it was confusing to hear the Lord tell me to do these certain things. And it was more confusing the way he spoke to me. It was very harsh. It wasn't like, you know, you know, I'm the Lord, you know, fear not, nothing like that. It was very harsh. Get up. And so, yeah, all that was confusing. You know, it was confusing when he, on my way to the podium, and he told me that I was a sinner. Yeah. That was confusing because it was like he was pointing everything at me, nothing about Dylan. And, but, so, so, but what I discovered, you know, after I forgave Dylan, and I told you that peace I experienced, that's, I discovered that that's why God was so much like a pest, like he taunted me, because he wanted me, to, he wanted me to release me from everything that I was feeling, and, 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 and so that's why he came at me the way he did. Yeah. And so, it, so it had, so, so there were mixed feelings. You know, but those mixed feelings came from the way God was relating to me at that time. You know, but I, you know, I, I grew up forgiving people. You know, my parents taught me how to forgive. You know, we, you know, you know, a lot of discrimination, a lot of, you know, uh, inequalities. You know, I've done my part of forgiving, believe me. Mm. And uh, my parents, all, I remember my mom marching with uh, Martin Luther King when he came here in Charleston, mm. South Carolina. The nurses march, and and she got they were arrested. When she came home, and, I, and 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 she told me about people things she experienced being beat up. And I asked her, "Why did you fight back?" And she took me to the side. She said, "Fight back." She said, 
And she explained to me, you don't fight back, mm. you know, because you become the same way. You become like the people who are fighting you. She said, you have to just keep on, keep on moving and forgive them. And I'll never forget that. And, and, to, to, and to make sure that I understood what she was saying, she took me to a, a Martin Luther King rally when he came to Emmanuel Church. I think I was like 10 years old. And I heard him speak about nonviolence, and I, then I understood what she meant. Mm. So it was always a part of me. Right, okay. You know. Um, but that the whole issue um, of, yeah, the, the racial hatred, um, actually mm -hmm. six weeks after the shooting, uh, Ruth wrote these words, I'd like to make it crystal clear, I do not regret what I did. I'm not sorry. I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed. Now, you spent a long time pondering those words, didn't you? Yearning to hear remorse from him because God had asked you to forgive him and you began to have this burden for him. So what was it like while you were praying, while you are continuing to forgive, to hear that kind of um, utter contempt for the people that you killed and for those around? I mean, that must have been excruciating. Well, it was because, well, first of all, I heard him say it firsthand. When, when, when he was on trial, I thought this young man would have some type of remorse. Yeah. And he didn't. Yeah. And so I just couldn't understand it. One of the news reporters from Time Magazine, he interviewed me during the recess period of that trial, knowing that Dylan had no remorse and that he said if he had the chance he would do it again, he asked me, would you take your forgiveness back? I, and I looked him in the eyes very intently. And I told him, no, I would never do that because taking my forgiveness back would be like giving God my peace back. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that because yeah. I still have that peace right now today. And that's, the, that's, that's why I'm able to move forward in my life. You also discovered um, throughout finding out all the details that he'd actually been planning that attack for six months or more. And he had a website that was full of... Um, racial hatred and white supremacy mm -hmm. and he chose that specific town and the specific church very carefully didn't he why was that well he did that because first of all his intent was to start a race war and see this young man was very smart a lot of people thought he had mental problems and a lot of people thought he was you know slow and dumb but no his, his IQ was pretty much close to a genius and so his intent was to start a race war, so he was looking for an avenue to, to make that happen. And so researching the, the slavery of Charleston, knowing that slavery in Charleston runs deep, also knowing that slaves built Charleston, for 200 years we built Charleston, you know, and, and, and the white men profit from slavery for 200 years, knowing all this, and knowing that Denmark Vesey, uh, started a, a rebellion to kill all the white people in Charleston, but yet he was killed, and a lot of other people were killed along with him. Then they burned down Emmanuel Church as reminders to black people not to try anything like this again. Knowing all this, you understand, he figured Charleston and Emmanuel was the place to go yeah. because if it, if it happened once, then it could happen again. And so that was his intent. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so he came to a black majority church as a white man to yes. do that, and and Charleston and the rest of your nation 
were expecting exactly what he expected, that there would be um, a, a lot of mm -hmm. raw violence in response just because of the anger that would have been stirred up. But actually, yes. in Charleston, after the shootings, God's grace poured out, didn't it? Some of the other victims' loved ones, like you did, extended love mm -hmm. and forgiveness. And actually, the news reporters were quite baffled by it all. They didn't quite know what to say, did they? <laughs> no, they didn't know what to say. Because, believe it or not, there could have been a riot. We have people from other cities, other states, coming here to actually start a riot. They were just waiting for us to give them the okay. We told them to go back to where they came from. We didn't need their help. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, yes. And, 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 and so that's why nothing happened, you know. And just the fact that we forgave the community was united. People from all walks of life, every race and creed, united, helped each other in every way they could to console each other, to be there for, for each other. I mean, we literally, Charleston literally, I mean, everything just turned around that that, that time. You know, Charleston being uh, a city where, where racism was prevalent. You know, a lot of people didn't know because we're so hospitable, but there was always an undertone of racism. Right. And But that, during that tragedy, those days, it started something very new in Charleston. We, we're, we're more united than ever before. I mean, the Confederate flag came down yeah. when nobody was even talking about the flag. We, I've marched many times to bring that flag down. Never happened. Now you have this tragedy. Nobody's talking about the flag, and it comes down. Okay? And so it, 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 it did the reverse of what everybody thought it would do. Right now, as a matter of fact, uh, or the 153rd anniversary of our nation's end of slavery, the city of Charleston mandated a resolution to recognize, denounce, and apologize for the city's involvement with slavery. Yeah. And so things like that are taking place. Yeah. Our mayor, Tecklenburg, formed an advisory council of pastors of different faiths and different denominations to, to concentrate on reconciliation and forgiveness and, and, and cultural awareness. And so we're doing that. I mean, we're yeah. doing that all over. Um, our churches are reaching across different pulpits. You know, you know, we're going to each other's pulpits, preaching the word of the Lord, and our congregations are coming together, black and white, Latino, you name it. Personally, you've had quite a varied response to your public statement of forgiveness, haven't you? Some say that you forgave too quickly, that you didn't give yourself enough time to process. Others that you cannot forgive somebody that has such evil intent, who's shown no remorse, and so that you shouldn't. Um, others said that there needs to be reconciliation in order for there to be true forgiveness. Others make forgiveness a, a cultural or racial issue. Um, and some even said that by forgiving him and by resuming your active ministry that you were somehow negating your love for Myra, which seems extraordinary. But could you perhaps comment a bit on how you dealt with each of these responses, which must have... Um, come as quite a shock each time and what you've learned about forgiveness from your own personal experience through this and just ongoing over the years. Well, yes, I've heard all that and some more that you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the one that struck me the most was someone said that I had the slavery mentality. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, that's why I forgave. And I made them very aware of the fact that I don't even know how they can say something like that because really I'm not a slave for one thing. You know, second of all, 
uh, slavery mentality means that I'm forgiving the master because I don't want any harm to come to me. Dylan's not going to bring me any harm. I'm not afraid of Dylan. So, you know, all those questions were just foolish to me. Mm. You know, and, and at the same time, people don't quite, you know, didn't quite understand what forgiveness was all about. And that's why I wrote the book. Okay, so that they can understand. You know, you see, forgiveness is a choice. You understand? And when we choose to forgive, we allow God to do the judging. You know, we're asking him to take over. We're asking him to, and we're, give, we're giving the offender and the offense to God because, you know, the Bible says do not take revenge. You know, you know revenge is mine, saith the Lord. You know, I believe those things. It's not about a feeling. It's not about a reconciliation. I did not know Dylan. Right. So there's nothing for me and him to be reconciled to. You understand? So that, that, so, so forgiveness doesn't, it doesn't mean that or imply that. In some cases, there may be reconciliation because it may be a father, a brother, a sister, a mother, a best friend that you want to reconcile with. Forgiveness will help you to do that. But in my case, none of that mattered. You know, my case, it was, just keep going back to what I told you. It was divine intervention. It takes God, even if you wanted to forgive, you couldn't do it on your own. It's just impossible. I've had people that, Tell me, I want to forgive. I really want to forgive, but I can't seem to bring myself to do it. But I want to do it. And my answer is, yes, I know, but you can't do it because I didn't do it on my own. God led me to that. He intervened to make that happen. It's going to take the same thing to make it happen for you. But in, but in your case, you can ask him, Lord, help me. You know, I want to forgive. Help me to forgive this person. I said he will, because that's why Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross, so that we could be forgiven. So, quite naturally, he's going to make it happen, just mm. like he made it happen for me. 18 months after the shooting, Dylan's trial began in early December 2016, and then um, eventually he ended up on death row. And in mm -hmm. September 2018, you wrote to him. How important was that to you in your own journey? Yes. Well, it helped me. You understand? It helped me to, not so much to understand anything, but it helped me to help this young man to understand what he had just done, what he had just did. You know, in that letter, I made him aware of who my wife was so that he could see that she was a real person, you know, and, and, and not just a black person, but that she was a mother, she was a wife, she was a, a community leader, a teacher, a minister. I wanted him to be able to see her, you know, in a way that he never saw her before because he just saw her and he saw those people as black and that's all. And I wanted him to understand also that nobody was responsible for his actions but himself because his, 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 his uh, uncle, you know, got in touch with me and we we're supposed to get together to talk because they felt like they were responsible. I wrote them a letter letting them know they were not responsible. So I wanted Dylan to understand that nobody was responsible but him. I also wanted to let him know that, you know, he has to admit his wrong. You know, if he wants to, if he wants to have a relationship with the Lord, I don't know his soul. I can't judge him because I don't know his soul. You know, but 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 I wanted him to know that I still, at this time, I still, my forgiveness is still good. And I still forgive him no matter what. And if I had the opportunity, if he gave me the opportunity, I would come. And if he need help, 
to to give his life to the Lord, or if he needs help to rededicate his life to the Lord, I'll come there and help him do that. Because I feel that as a pastor, not only as a pastor, but just 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 in my heart that I'm responsible for that. Mm. Because if God God put that in my heart to tell him that, you understand? Then I believe it's going to happen. But he has to make that choice. That was the Reverend Anthony Thompson in conversation with Claire Musters. Thank you very much for joining us on The Profile. Do hope you enjoyed both those interviews we've been able to air today. If you'd like more where that came from, why not check out The Profile as a podcast? Just head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. All the links are there for you to download The Profile wherever you normally get your podcast from. We'll be back same time, same place next week. See you then.